Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I'm really excited to have today's guest, Eric Heiser, here uh, talk to. We've been trying to get this going for a long time. And in a, we have a very modern age friendship. Yeah. Be, because we've known each other online in, in a real way for like uh, nine years or something like that. Yeah, something incredible. But I think this is the first time we shook hands. Yeah, right, right here. Yeah. It's awesome. Great. Well, thanks for coming in. Great to have you. Are you in for Comic-Con? I am, yeah. Yeah, I've been doing some comic books for uh, Valiant, and uh, uh, so they had me on there too, to, to whore them out. Well, you are um, a real, you know, the, this show when I started it, this podcast, you know, I was so interested in the line, you know, I called it the moment because I'm interested in these inflection points, these moments, high, low moments in people's lives, how they press press on after either a great success or in um, a huge low period. Oh, yeah. And your journey over the last few years encompasses uh, all of it, I think, <laughs> in a really fascinating way, man. And um, but, but, but first, can I just say, can someone just, can you just like fix your Wikipedia right now? Because it still says best known. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It still says uh, uh, best known for Nightmare uh, on Elm Street, Elm oh, Street remake. And then like three lines later, um, and was nominated for the Oscar for Arrival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have to look into that. It just feels, I know that uh, you're not supposed to fix your own Wikipedia, but honestly, just have somebody. Right. Just fix it. Put a rival right up there. Right. I got to get somebody on that. You should. So um, have you processed 2016 yet, really? And what happened to you and, and how you got shot out, shot out the other side of the whole thing? Um, you know, I'm still, there's a part of me that believes that um, I could wake up and, you know, like a Groundhog Year style, you know, it's, it's back in like September of last year and uh, and none of it's really happened yet. Uh, and in, in some ways I kind of wish for that. <laughs> but uh, but no, like, look, you know, we'd, we'd started on this path for arrival. I'd, I wrote that thing on spec uh, and quietly developed it like kind of the script version of a, of a car on blocks in my driveway. Uh, many years before any of this could happen, and I just I had a, I had like a, a a like a pull to the themes and the the idea that you know we're so interconnected globally and we're so fucking bad at communicating with one another, um, and it's so easy for us to like misinterpret or you know reshape something that someone says in order to fit our agenda. Um, I did not know how bad that would get. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, well, yeah, I, I was looking at your Twitter today, and it is like. Uh, some original tweet by you and then like 40 retweets of horrible things about Trump. And, you know, even just two years ago, it was like mostly about creativity yeah, and doing your thing and yeah. being yourself. But you're, first of all, um, I think you know this. I've certainly like said it a lot publicly. Arrival, 100% my favorite movie of last year. Thank you. By a long way. Uh, I was just so moved by it and um, charmed by it and taken by it and um, have thought about the themes uh, it's wish for humanity over and over again. Yeah. You know, even now when you started to tell the story, dude, you said, uh, you know, I wrote on spec. I mean, you are a living embodiment of the thing that I try to talk about, uh, which is uh, the, the the taking the risk to do the thing itself is yeah. uh, what you have to do. But you didn't just start out like writing the thing on spec. I, You know, you had this idea you'd pay, like, yeah. this was a... You wrote it on spec as a court of last resort in a way, didn't you? Oh, for sure. I mean, let me tell you. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> yeah I mean, walk people through it be, be, because you did this in an entirely unconventional way. You didn't yeah. let the gatekeepers nose, and there were no, you heard no after no after no. Yeah. You didn't let the nose 
convince you that you were wrong, you kept going and got nominated for the Academy Award, which is a great accomplishment. Not quite the same as rebooting Nightmare on Elm Street, but still. <laughs> I should lead with that still. Yeah, yeah, I would lead with that, yeah, yeah. but it's still pretty good. But So can you just walk us through the whole, the whole thing and um, talk about what it felt like and where you found the stores of fortitude to keep going? Man, uh, sure. I just, Treat gonna... it like a commencement speech. <laughs> I'm gonna have to have my therapist on speed dial after this, though, because man, that's some rough parts. I'll uh, stand in for that for now. <laughs> so, I mean, I'd, I'd gotten a produce credit, and honestly, once you're a, a name on a poster, there is a level of confidence in the town and the business that uh, it far exceeds somebody who doesn't have that. Even if it's something like Elm Street, which maybe five percent of what I wrote wound up on screen. Uh, so I mean, the, the mere fact that you're that you were a credited writer on a produced film, you felt changed. It changed the game a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it led to a couple of other uh, jobs that sort of put me in one basket. But um, I, I know I grew up uh, loving a variety of films. I was never monogamous to one genre. And even my favorite writers of that that era, um, you know, like like Bill Lancaster, who wrote the the thing for Carpenter, also wrote Bad News Bears. And so we just we were all over the place, and I loved that. And I love I love that too because it's like uh, one of your favorite movies, and then one of my favorite movies. <laughs> no, See? like seriously, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so um, you know, I was really dying to do something else. And when you do the bottled water tour out there, of course, all the producers uh, have that question in their pocket of Is there any other piece of material out there we get the right to and you can do? Um, and I would say time and again, yes, Ted Chang, story of your life. Oh my God, I love this. I love its author, but particularly this piece. What do you think the first year was where you said the story of uh, your life? What the the first year of that? The first year you said I. This is a story. This is the thing that I want to do. Two thousand six. Okay, two thousand six. You first said to some producer, "Yeah, acquire the rights to this short story." Yes, because I think there's a movie in it. Yeah, and what happened? Well, they would they would lean in. They're like, "Oh, I haven't heard of this. Tell me more about it." You know, and and I would roll in. Well, let's say. It's a non-franchise sci-fi with a female lead about linguistic relativity. That's probably as, as far as I got, and they were like hard pass. You know, like I, it was a combination of all the horrible things that a, <laughs> a producer would hear. Uh, and it took me a while to understand that it would it would be a long journey for me to find just a producer who would open up the book and read the story. Really, you couldn't get somebody to read it. No, no, or I get somebody who would go halfway in and stop at a point. There's Ted does some pretty cool intellectual things like he even puts a graph in that story to show you what Fermat's principle of least time is about uh, which is, was engaging to me but for a producer he's like what the hell I'm is this a TED talk is that what he's right. trying to sell me yeah. uh, and so it didn't go anywhere it's funny because half the TED audience would walk out when they saw that graph too at this point <laughs> <laughs> if you think about it honestly it's changed yeah that yeah, even has changed it's not even like, a TED talk it's not even but, a TED talk yeah. anymore uh, there's nothing touchy-feely about Fermat's uh, you know <laughs> there isn't but but so you would say this, and nobody, and people would stop, and they would look yeah. at you with the blank look. Completely, I and knew you, I lost them. And you got to make movies. You were you were um, one of the go-to names in the horror yep. genre. Yeah, uh, you could direct movies, you could write movies. You right. were a producer. You were absolutely top of the list. You know, one of the guys at the top of the list for that. Genre. I wasn't yet a producer, but I was trying to make that way there. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, and and then there was a moment after I made hours, which uh, you directed, which I directed. Uh, I got in the room with uh, with different people, with people that was outside of like the horror genre, that started to think of me as someone who could do something else other than that. And uh, I, I met with Dan Cohen and Dan Levine at Twenty One Laps. It was a general meeting, uh, and on my way out the door, they were like, "Hey, is there any other 
piece of material out there that we could see. And I've heard that at this point in time for three and a half, four years. And I like, rolled my eyes like, well, you're not going to read it, but <laughs> Ted Chang. And sure enough, they did that weekend, and they called just breathless on Monday. Eric, we love this story. They understood it. They understood it. And this is 2011, you said? This is 2011 now. Yeah. And, and they, were, they were like five years after you first said it. Yeah. And you kept going and saying it. I don't want to hit this yeah. because uh, so many people believe that if the business like rejects a thing, then that means it's valueless and it's not going to happen. Yeah. What made you bring it up again? Did you do any? Did you, would you keep rereading it? Would you check in with either, friends of yours? Was this? Did you? How did you know that it still had life? I would reread it, for sure. Um, I would alter my approach and how I pitched it. You know, I always looked for a new way to talk Smart. about the story. Yeah. Um, and I got a little better at that. Um, but I, I learned something about myself that I think is kind of in a weird way. It's, it's, it's rough, uh, a little masochistic, but it's also how you stay in this business, which is you kind of have to accept you're Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. Uh, and that goes with jobs that you chase and scripts that you work on and projects that may never see the light of day. Brian, I've written 61 screenplays. And a fraction of them has, have actually made it to the screen. I want to do the Mike Wallace thing. 61 screenplays. <laughs> yes. <laughs> really? Yes. By the end of the year, at least 62. So, um, so there's something to, the, to me knowing Are you that, counting rewrites of other people's scripts? Well, if it's a page one, yes. So a page one rewrite's included in that. Yeah. But not if you come in for three weeks and do a polish or something. No, no, I'm not You're saying you've this. really written 61 scripts over the however many it years. It does include pilots. Sure. But yeah. And how many? And six movies have been made. Yeah, I think so. Right, six yeah. movies have been made, and so then ten percent is still good average when I think about it. It's great. It's uh, it's better than most people have. <laughs> okay, I guess so. And that's again I'm at around forty percent. But that's still <laughs> no, that's still really great. All right, but you've rounders. been nominated. But you've been nominated for the Oscar, and I'm just a <laughs> schmuck in front of a microphone. So you know, you win. But um, so you wrote sixty-one things, and yeah. And so, like, with that, I guess, came my understanding that if, if I love a thing, I just, I, I've got to accept that I can still love it regardless. Awesome. And, and that's what got me back in the room to talk about Story of Your Life over and over again. Be, uh, you know, there's such a, it's, it's, it's a go-to metaphor, but it yet fits so well about how finding the right people in this business is just the same as dating, where you can go through date after date, and some of them are nightmares, and you're like, I'm going to be old and single forever. Uh, you know, I'm just going to be the cat guy. Uh, but then, uh, then you find the right people and you realize, okay, they love the same things about the, this process. Um, for a producer, they take their, their job title as a verb versus others that don't. <laughs> and, and, uh, Meaning they were going to actively help you get the thing made. They want to make, exactly. They want to make things. And what you just said is really crucial too. I think for anyone in any artistic endeavor, when you enlist people, not just getting them to say yes, but getting them to say yes for the right reasons crucial exactly. that they see the same thing they the, right. the tone and the spirit of the thing right mar is able to marry yours absolutely absolutely and they, uh, there may be some differences in approach and style but if the agenda is let's make a movie and let's make this movie you're great if the agenda is let's get this star so that i can hook them up to something else then you're in, you're in trouble but again it's hard to know that ahead of time but you had a conversation with these guys and at this time can I, you'd made the hours were you, you were a working screenwriter writing all yeah. these screenplays. You would take jobs and then you would also always have a spec going and be writing short stories. Like what yeah. was your, at that time, what was your routine like? What, were, what was your day like? 
So around 2009, I made a promise to myself that regardless of what's going on in my business, I would do at least one spec a year. And for people who don't know that, what a spec is, is an, an original screenplay that's not under someone else's ownership. They don't have the rights to it. Exactly. It means you're writing something without pitching it ahead of time, without yep. getting paid to write it. You're yep. writing it speculatively. You're speculating, much as the gold prospectors did, that uh, there would be uh, value to, to it later in some way. Precisely. And the other thing that I had attached to that, it was an amendment, but it was to do uh, something outside of screenwriting once a year, whether it was short stories or comic books or try a novella or whatever it is. Some kind of writing outside of, uh, you would do some kind of writing that wasn't limited to the form of the screenplay. Precisely. What brought about this resolution and its uh, codified amendment? Uh, What brought it about was I realized I was at a plateau uh, plateau in in my craft and I wasn't really... Um, stretching new muscles. And so uh, there was a, uh, you know, I worked uh, at a consulting firm back in Houston for a while, and some of the buzzwords and the language kind of stuck with me. And one of the things that stuck with me was sharpening the saw. And, and if you're not sharpening the saw, then it means you're not really getting better as a writer or in whatever craft you're doing. And so I started doing this as a way to try and push myself to improve. That's great. And, uh, you know, some of them were failures and some of them were experiments, but, but it still helped. You were still writing. You I'm were still, still no writing. matter what, writing for yourself basically every day in some way. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's it's just like exercising. It just felt better. I want to just uh, get granular a little bit on this as we move forward in the narrative, which is how did you um, – did you have a practice in place to check in with yourself then so that you were able to know this? Like were you journaling or were you talking to people? Like – most people just kind of put one foot in front of the other and they wake up and then they go to sleep. And like, how did you, do you remember how you sort of thought to yourself, okay, I have to change. Was it therapy? Yeah. Like what was the thing? Uh, honestly, it, it sort of came about at the same time as I realized I needed to refine my relationship with my reps. Uh, right. And I understood that I could solve one problem with the other, to quote Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, and I decided that if I'm going to go in and have a good heart-to-heart with my reps, then what I need to do is build out sort of a reporting structure. Uh, and so it started with this. It started with a meeting where I sat down and I said, here's where I'd like to be in three years. Here are the list, li- list of things that I'd like to have done at that point, uh, like footholds in various studios, relationships with certain people. Um, and here's what I promise to do to get there. That's great. And, That's huge. And every month, you're going to get an email from me that lists out my progress on all these things. You're going to get weird stuff like short stories or poems or maybe a play at some point in time, and you'll get a spec script once a year. If you don't get any of these things after the end of a year, you absolutely can fire me. As a right, client. you're off the hook then. You're off the hook. You can come in and have a come-to-Jesus moment and say, Eric, we're, you know, you're, not, you're not sticking to any of this. We're going to let you go. And if... At the, after all of those, uh, after that year, I can come back to you and say, you haven't done anything to help me. I have proper authority to get, let you go. And you came up with this three-year horizon so that you didn't yeah. task them with something where they could just blow it off forever, but you also didn't say, change my life tomorrow. Correct. Correct. Really smart. And, and, and we get to check in like at the year or the six-month mark of like, all right, are we still aiming for this three-year goal? Or has a new opportunity arisen for us to kind of go another way? But you know, I don't know that. Really but but you had this realization even after you'd, you'd had a couple movies made by then, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you still you had this realization like, uh, I don't want to just be doing this. Correct. I need to do this other thing. Yeah. And you were willing to still take those jobs to support yourself. Oh yeah, I had to pay the rent. Yeah. So you were taking those. You were, and back then when you would because I know the quality of stuff you're being offered now is totally different. I want to talk about that. But <laughs> right, sure. I yeah, mean, yeah. yeah, clearly. But 
uh, were you had you trained yourself to be able to take something? Because this is something I never got very good at okay. uh, taking a job that I didn't couldn't emotionally really find my way into. Right? Did you get you got proficient at that? Um, no, I started to get good at it and realized that it was hollowing me out. And I said, no, I can't do right. this. That's really what I mean happened to me and Dave, too, was yeah. that you, know, you, could, um, you could use your craft in a way. But if you didn't have a point of if we didn't have a point of view born out of something that we cared about, we were no different than hiring anybody else. Yeah. You weren't going to get the thing that made our, our movies and our shows feel like they were made by us. Exactly, exactly. And actually, when I, if I look at what I what I was starting to get, there was a trend of every job that I came in, and if I just talked about what I could do to a script and change it, maybe I'd get the job. But if I started with a personal story of like why I am passionate about this and how it affected me personally, I got those jobs. Right, and you would do a better job, And too. I would do a better job, absolutely. So you were doing that stuff then, figuring this out and realizing I out. need to change my thing. Completely. Amazing, and you, and that's when you started like writing these things on spec. And this is within this time you got the story, or a few years before you got we, the story. We got it. So 2011, we we got the rights as a shopping agreement from Ted to go and basically pitch this out to various studios. We, How'd you convince them to give it to you free? Um, well, it was mainly producers that got to do that ahead of time. They got it. They got a it. shopping agreement. They got which a shopping is not agreement. doesn't have any money attached to it. No. Nope. Did you have to participate in that? Did you have to write a letter? No, not not at this point in time. Okay, uh, but it was like a maybe a ninety day. We had a short fuse oh, on a it, short window. Even though you'd already known that, yeah. you hadn't been able to sell the thing before. Well, I hadn't even been able to get a producer involved. But now the producers involved, they're like, okay, you know, work on a pitch, and we're gonna go out. And we went out to twelve buyers, and twelve is important in the bed. Um, and, and it was just all the major studios and a handful of others. I had my pitch cards out. You know, I do very visual cards. What does that mean, a pitch card? Like, what do you do? Oh, wait. So on three by five or four by six cards, I, I do a lot of visuals. I do like a mood board almost because I realize I don't want uh, execs reading. You're cutting and pasting stuff or you're drawing? Um, I am cutting and pasting. I'm, I'll do that online and I'll find a whole bunch of reference photos and I'll, I'll put some cast photos on there to try and like give them an idea. On your we'll, cards? On my cards. And you put the cards on a, on a board? And I lay them out usually on the coffee table one after another. Uh, and I will, I will just change the arrangement of the cards. Uh, my presentation layout differs depending on what type of project I'm doing. Like I did a, a, a pitch for a pilot where the lead character uses, uh, practices tarot as a way of looking at uh, situations differently. And so I, I did a Celtic cross spread as I laid out the, the pilot uh, pitch. Brilliant. Yeah, great. And so for, uh, for Arrival, what I did was I just laid out a circle so that the last card was matched the first one and you're right back in the same place. And so we went out to all the buyers, and they were like, wow, this is phenomenal. This is really deep and intriguing and hard pass. Everyone passed. In the room? Passed. Did you get in passes the room. in the room? We get passes in the room. <laughs> and we got two who said they'd think about it, uh, and then later on they were like, no, it's a pass. Wait, 10 out of 12 passed in the room? 10 out of 12 passed in the That's room. Oh, my favorite Hollywood stories. These are my favorite Hollywood stories. <laughs> I love it. It gets better. Yeah, but, yeah I want more and more. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love it. Right. So, ten, so you, 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 uh, you pitch the thing. Yeah. First, just to recap, yeah. you get the story, you tell all these people who could have had it for nothing years and years and years ago. Yeah. Nothing, nobody. nobody. The two Dan guys, they say yes. Yes. But they don't have, they don't buy it. You don't get any money. You're not no. commenced to write something. Not at all. Then they take you to studios and they're, Dan, they're, they're real guys who are very well connected people. Oh, yeah. You, Sean leave you behind. Like they got a yeah. whole big enterprise. Was Sean involved at this point? I mean, he was aware of this, but he wasn't really like, directly involved. You know, he's, he's a very good, mentor to these guys and 
he knows and trusts implicitly his people. Right. So he gives, he empowers them to go do it in his name. And so it's great. Perfect. Absolutely. Gave them the rope to go do it. And when he needed, like, he was always a phone call away of like, Sean, we need you to lean on so-and-so. He was there. That's great. But so then 10 out of 12 reject your very involved pitch where you did tell them pretty much the movie, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and, they reject it. And they reject it. What does it feel like to you at that moment? I have lived, lived it, but I want to know for you knowing it was this special thing. It's interesting because like what I, uh, what I heard is the feedback because all the 10 rejections were almost unanimous in their reasoning, which is this feels very execution dependent. And the producers heard that and they said, oh, they need a big prestige director or star attached in order to make this work. And for me, I heard, oh, I'm not talented enough to do this. Right. They don't think you can pull it off. Right. That's what execution dependent means. The concept alone doesn't show us the poster that will get people in. Right. And so for this to work, it, it needs to be um, uh, rendered uh, on paper for right. us to understand it. It would be like if you went to pitch Jerry Maguire. Nobody would buy Jerry Maguire as a pitch, but Cameron Crowe writes that script. Suddenly, Jerry Maguire feels like a movie to somebody. Exactly. And so you heard, and but what you heard is you're no Cameron Crowe. <laughs> that's what Basically, I was hearing. That's yeah. what you thought. Yeah, of course, because like you know, neurotic writer. That's what I listened to. But um, and then the two other passes. They they came a few days later, and I don't know. It was so ambiguous. Like I don't know if we ever got a reason from them. We just they just said pass, uh, and that left us really with nowhere to go. The next day, I, I got up, and I was still haunted by it. I was like, because, look, when you do, and you know this, Brian, when you do all that heavy lifting, when you figured out and mapped out the story, you're like, the script part is actually the easier part of this at, po at this point. Like, we've broken the back of the story. We know how it works, and we know that it does work. You knew in I your knew. heart. I knew in my you heart. knew it. Yes. I could see it. I could see frames of this film when I closed my eyes. And so I called up the dance and said, I can't, I can't let this go. I'm going to write this thing on spec for you. Right. And, you know, I always think about this, and I've said it before, that, like, the line between being, as an artist, delusional and then incredibly <laughs> successful is so thin. It is. And right up until the moment that you're successful, you are delusional. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Well, because, like, I had the call with my agent after that, and he says, like, Eric, look, this is the definition of a waste of time. Every buyer's already said no. Like, you know it's not going to go anywhere. They said that to you. Yes. Yeah. The, the experts. The These experts. are experts. The, yes. The people. Top, people at the top of the business, top of their field. They know what they're doing. Getting paid to offer you this counsel. Yeah. Did, did you fire all these fuckers? <laughs> Not quite, but like I understood where they were coming from. Yeah, you're a kinder man than I. Uh, <laughs> I so, but so they said, yeah, this is a waste of time. But you called them and you said, listen, I have to write this thing. I have to write it. And honestly, I'm not going to be turning down other paying gigs, so it's not like they're going to like missing out on a commission. I'm still going to do this on the side because I have to pay rent, but I'm not saying no to this. And that required then me to reach out and have a long call with Ted and pitch him my adaptation over the phone in order to get the rights because then it's no longer a little shopping agreement. We're really looking to to hold it for a while. And that then you had to get money. an option of some sort. We had sort. to get an option you had of to, some but sort. But you wanted, obviously, you guys weren't going to pay a big option fee. What you were going to donate. By that time, you were a high-paid screenwriter, so what you were going to donate was the value of your time writing the Correct. script. But you have to explain that to an author. An author doesn't necessarily understand Not that. exactly, no. Until you, yeah, we had this with The Illusionist where we had to carry that. We we got options for 18 months, basically free, and at a certain point, Stephen Milhouse was like, well, something would be nice, you know? <laughs> yeah, and we're like, but everyone's yeah. working and yeah. trying. Um, yeah. You know, and then eventually you get the thing made, but it's very, very difficult. So you, uh, you say, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And... Because uh, you have broken the spine of the thing. And you put your... How much work had gone into that? 
like years of thinking about it. And then years how, how much work went into the pitch? Do you think a oh. couple weeks? No, that was a that was a two month process for me to get that thing down and to, and to crack certain elements because I had to finally divorce myself from some of the uh, elements of the of the short story and create some new stuff in order to make it work. Right. I mean, I just want to like live in this for a second. Two months. Yeah. Of you living inside the world of Arrival. Yeah. Knowing the odds were slim. Sure. And but like really deciding to throw yourself into it. I was. I gave a talk last week for Adobe. Um, in Pebble Beach, and which was great, fascinating. And one of the things we were talking about is that uh, a lot of the time, because some of these people I, I was talking to, like pitch for business, and I was saying it's funny. You'd think you when you phone it in is is uh, when when it doesn't matter, but in fact, when it doesn't matter, you can prepare because there's nothing at stake for yourself. When you're tempted to not really put in all the work is when it does matter because it'll be so heartbreaking. Yeah. If you don't get it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure for you, you had to know. Oh yeah, I'm risking because it's a tremendous emotional risk, right? Oh, it is uh, for sure. Again, Charlie Brown football. I mean, there was a moment when I had to write the words uh, nonlinear orthography and dialogue, and I thought, oh god, no one is ever going to make this movie. <laughs> like, what right. am I doing? Right. But so you make these cards, you do the thing, you get rejected, you tell the Dan's and uh, your agents you want to you want to write it, and then yeah. someone says, well, look, we'll pay a little bit to Ted, but yeah, uh, for him to lock this thing up, right. you're going to have to talk to him, right? And so what was that call like? Nervous as hell. Like, I was the most nerve-wracking pitch I've had in my career, and I've had a lot. I've had one where <laughs> a studio exec got out from his chair, went to his uh, little exec bathroom, left the door open, said, I got to piss, but keep pitching. No, Lyndon Johnson, yeah? Half, <laughs> I mean, it's half a Lyndon, I guess. Half a Lyndon. It's yeah. half a Lyndon. He did that? He did that. So, like, uh, so like I've been there, and, and that was pretty damn humiliating, but, like, there was a nerve-wracking bit of, like, it's me telling Ted over the phone, so, Ted, this is a great car. I'm going to take this car from you. I'm going to borrow your keys. It's going to come back with a bunch of aftermarket modifications. You're just going to have to be okay with that. But he understood that you loved it for the right reasons. And you are, you're a scientist, right? Or you, were, you knew enough about that stuff? I knew enough about it, yeah. I mean, I... I Hadn't you worked at... Where I worked at uh, Space Industries in Clear Lake. Uh, I was doing, uh, interesting you mentioned Adobe. I had, I had taught myself a bunch of Adobe software back when there really wasn't a, like a college curriculum for it yet. And that's how I got my foot in the door there and just uh, sort of uh, designed and laid out uh, stuff for But it. so you were able to talk to Ted both as a writer and somebody who understood science. So he right. wasn't talking to somebody like me who's like uh, likes that shit but doesn't know. You <laughs> actually can, you could, um, he, he knew you weren't, like bullshitting around, basically. Right. No, he knew I was serious. He knew that I was passionate about it. And, you know, I gave him a little history of like how long I've been trying to get people interested in it. And he's like, all right, all right. And so he said yes. He said yes. Thank God. Uh, and it was a year before I had finally gotten a script that I was excited about. It was a lot of development. It was a lot of internal drafts, me trying to like really finesse it. Because once you get the main beats of the story out with this kind of thing, you've got to find the right balance between personal moments and sort of like, you know, like the scientific exploration of the interviews. And were you bouncing it off of your producers as you were spending that year? Or oh, yeah. were you writing it in a vacuum? No, I would, I would get in the room with the producers after every draft and go, okay, here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm having trouble with. And they are great guys. They're really good developers. And, and they weren't treating it like a fool's errand. They were actually focused and giving you, yeah. they were in there with they you. They were all in. That's awesome. Yeah, they were great, and they would be. They were filled with great notes as well. Like the very first draft of it, I remember I had like a two and a half page uh, series of scenelets of Louise and Ian teaching very basic vocabulary to the heptapods, 
and they, it was the most boring two and a half pages ever. Like it was so bad. They're like, Eric, we not have we've not read anything quite as stale as this. Why in the world are you doing this? And I said, Well, because. And then I went to the whiteboard there in their room, and I and I basically wrote the question, "What is your purpose on earth?" It's like you just get them in here. Look at all the things you got to do, and they just stared at me, and go. That's the scene. Oh, that's awesome. That's the scene, Eric. And that's how it goes in. And of course, right. you know, Amy does a much better job of convincing Colonel Weber than I did. But Right, but that's what you did that and they recognized it. Yes. That's really great producing. I mean, that's it amazing is. producing and great that you were open no. and not defensive in the process because you felt you had these dudes on your side. I did. I really did. So you spend a year. Can I ask you just break down your day? Because people are always like, I don't have time. <laughs> um, right, you hear that online when people ask you questions. Like, it's amazing, sure. isn't it? You'll do like a you'll let people ask you questions about the process, and then they'll say, "Yeah, but what if I don't have time?" And you go, "No, no, no," because I I wrote three things at the same, and they'll go, "What I?" Yeah. So how did you find the time? How did you organize your days at that time? Well, you know, whatever it is that was going to pay the bills came first. Meaning you'd wake up and work on that. I would work on that first, yeah, um, and I would get that out of the way. Otherwise, um, you know, guilt would creep in. Um, uh, because someone was paying you. So you wanted to me. actually like serve them because they were paying you. Absolutely. I had respect to that. Uh, and very rarely, if, if you know, I got to a place where I was so totally blocked on that. And, uh, on my, which? On whatever it is that I was supposed to be working on to get, you know, to get the, 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 pays, uh, the bills paid. Uh, I would occasionally play hooky and go back over to Arrival and take with that for a while and remind myself that I can write other stuff. Sure. But you would work on Arrival every day? I would. For an hour or two hours? Yeah, for probably about an hour or two. And so in the morning until you were done, kind of fried. And then you found that you had um, energy, kind of like uh, renewed energy, even if you were gassed on the other thing. Yeah. You felt more alive I would. doing this. Yeah, I would find a way to recharge my batteries. It's, it's interesting how like we all do stuff that helps us kind of recenter and, uh, and get a second wind. Uh, and it doesn't always have to be this, doing the same thing, you know. Like in this case, for me, Arrival was kind of doing the same thing as other writing work, but uh, it it recharged my batteries a little bit. Before that, it would be sometimes just uh, overdosing on some films uh, or a really good TV because oh my god, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> Hashtag billions. Nice. And uh, no, but you would watch. You're saying you you uh, sometimes what you use is like some sensory input thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes maybe exercise, or I don't know if you meditate. Yeah. Do you meditate? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What kind do you do? Uh, I do uh, lucid or uh, sorry, transcendental meditation. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Right. David so, Lynch. Yeah, me too. That's why I did it. Catching the big fish is what got me to do it. Um, so you you were you were doing it. You wrote the thing. So now it's a year later. You guys haven't pitched it again. Are you talking to your agents about it, or like once you got the rights, you're not? Not really. No, we're not talking about uh, it with the agents. We're just very quietly doing it off the side, and I kind of like that about that. I, I've, I've found that I'm more excited about doing stuff without telling my reps, and then just dropping it like Beyonce. And are you getting? Yeah, I understand that. And you look, uh, it's very similar. Sitting here with you, I have the same feelings I would if I were sitting here with her, and um, uh, just visually, and um, <laughs> and you. yeah, no, for sure. And uh, but when that's happening, um. Tony Gilroy talks about this, the greatest feeling of being a screenwriter when you know you have this secret. You have a secret and you're walking around and you know you have this special secret that nobody else has, yeah. which is the thing. Did it feel like that to you? A little bit. And what really got me excited was midway through that year, that process, uh, the Dans had a meeting with Denis Villeneuve. And, and they'd asked him, what are you interested in doing? Because we want to work with you. And he, says, he said, well, I, I would like to do some science fiction. Uh, and so they they just dropped the story and said you should read this. Oh, uh, they gave him the short. They story. They gave him the short story, and uh, and he did, and he just fell in love with it. 
Uh, and that second meeting, that follow-up call was like, I deeply love this story, but I don't know how it's a movie. And they, they were like, we got a guy. We got a guy on it. It's all right. You know? And uh, that gave us a, some hope. That gave us some extra fuel of like, Because oh, he's a green light director. So that's, he's a green light director. He's a green light director. So that's, you knew that there was a possibility yeah, out there. There was. Um, and so you finish, then finally you finish it. Finally finish it, and we go back out to our buyers. We're like, we got a spec script now. We're excited about it. Back to the 12 buyers. We've executed. We've the execution executed. thing, we've it now is. executed. We've actually done it. Here we are. And I felt good about it. And um, and it, uh, and it, I think that's what that that's the same year that it got on the blacklist. Um, and every But what happened at this phase, before the black? This is pre-blacklist, right? Pre-blacklist, right? yeah. You go... And you send it to these people? Do you have a meeting and leave it behind, or you just send it? It goes out by itself. It goes out with a little cover letter. Did your agents react when they read it? Uh, they did. They love it. Okay. They love it. They love it. That's like, great. This okay, is this is why they're not getting fired quite yet. Exactly. Because they, they read it. the script and they go, okay. This is great. Useful, useful use of your time. Yeah, absolutely. They're like, well, we can, we, you can, this, we can get you other jobs with this. And I'm like, great. But that's not really why I would run it. <laughs> you right. know, like, I really wanted this to make it. And uh, every studio was like, oh, we see now. We see what you're saying in the pit. Okay, hard pass. Really? Yeah. 12 out of 12 again. 12 out of 12 again. This is all the major studios. Oh, yeah. Sony and Warner Brothers and all of them. All the geniuses at all these places. Yeah. They just passed on the thing. Yeah. We'll be back after this. Word about ZipRecruiter. Listen, I, um, I have to hire people people to fill my writer's room, all the crew positions. I know that hiring is hard work. Uh, it's kind of the most important thing, or certainly one of the most important things you do in your day if you're in any kind of a management position. And, you know, if you're hiring, you really should be dealing with ZipRecruiter. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading boards with just one click. So you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then ZipRecruiter has this thing called smart matching technology, which actively notifies qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting, so you receive the best possible matches. Other hiring sites uh, don't do anything like that, which is why ZipRecruiter is different. They don't depend on the right candidates finding you. Like ZipRecruiter finds them. You can even get a head start on the interview process by adding screening questions to your job post to help identify the most qualified candidates. This way you don't have to waste time sorting through a stack of resumes to find the perfect fit. This step blew me away. 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just a day, in one day. Uh, and the easy-to-use ZipRecruiter dashboard lets you manage your hiring process from start to finish all in one place. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And look, right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. Yeah, I said free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash moment. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash moment. Look, one more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash moment. All right, and do you get all those passes within two weeks? Oh, within a week, actually. Within a week, you have the, you've cleared the decks within yes. a week. But what happens next is fascinating. Wait, can I just ask you the emotion of that moment? Had you shown it to your wife and to your friends? Yeah. And did I, was everyone like, you've done it? Pollock, like you cracked it wide open? Like in One of the final stages that I do is really uh, to help me understand that like, I have, don't have any dialogue that just sounds like marbles in people's mouths, is I do a little table read 
And my wife's part of that. You do it all the time. She's a screenwriter and a producer yeah. as well. So yeah, yeah. She's and she great. does it. And she's I, a great Twitter follow too. She's people. phenomenal, Kit Moxie on Twitter. And that's and I not learned, her name though. Say no, her no, name. no, Christine Boylan. And uh, and I and I I learned that from her. Like Christine would do that, where she'd bring over once a month. We have like a little Shakespeare reading at our in our house, where we just take a play and we sit down, we cold read it with a bunch of actor and, and writer friends. Uh, and then we talk about it after with a lot of with a lot of alcohol. You do that? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and I'm inviting myself over next time I'm in LA. You should. We'd love I'm you. I'm coming next time. Fantastic. I'm doing it. Good. 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 Um, and so she would also do that whenever she had something, uh, and I just kind of copied her. And and we did this with a rival. We brought over uh, friends, some of which like she had done uh, TV episodes with, and uh, some friends I knew. And. We went through all of that, and I you knew read it out loud. We read it out loud. Where in the process is it? Right before you send it to the network, to it's the a, studios. It's right before we send it to the studios. That it's that last pass to make sure that it works, um, and get the feedback. Were people moved in the room? We had a few people that were like, oh, Eric, this is this is the best thing you've written, and I'm like, okay, all right. Oh, that's great. So uh, I felt really good, and I and I guess that's what kept me from completely breaking down the week that I, I was got. So all you those get all those passes, yeah. And do you does it hit you hard? It hits me like this is. Well, what hits me, it hits me really hard, and then the dance call, and they say, it was our version of execution dependent instead of yours. It's not about your talent. It's about the fact that we don't have, you can't sell The Martian without Ridley Scott. You can't sell Gravity without Quaron. You know, that's just not how you could uh, set something up. So just give us a little while, and we're going to figure it out. But we didn't have to wait that long, because the independent uh, financiers in the business loved it. They were nuts about it. Right away. Right so that away. was the next, basically, it was a, a week to get these passes. Yeah. Then your producers said, we're not letting this thing go, man. So don't worry. We're not letting it go. Yeah. They sent it. They seeded it out there to. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that was them and how much was just uh, some of them got their hands on it and started this interesting competition. It was what I called like the featherweight bidding war because Brian, it was just like, you know, I'll give you 20 bucks for it. <laughs> yeah, no, right. Like, I I'll give you 22 and a pizza. No matter what, you weren't getting near your quote for all this time. No, 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 no. No, no way. A quote is what, what, you, what you get paid. Hollywood works on a system. Uh, they they pay you what they paid you before, plus a raise if good stuff's happened. Essentially, and you build up your your quote over time. But um, it's become increasingly hard to get your quote, except like right the year after you were nominated for an Oscar. But it's very hard generally to get that. And on this, you weren't getting close to it. No, 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 uh -uh. no. And that but you did another... have people who said, "Look, we'll we'll buy the we want the script when option." Were they optioning it or buying it at that time? Um, it was an option at the time, and it was to. Uh... It was for a very long time because a couple of them knew that Dean was interested, but he was also busy with uh, either Sicario or Prisoners of Time. Had he read it at that time? Had they given it to him? They'd, we finally got it to him. Uh, he was done with production. And he was he has windows where he reads and where he doesn't, and so we had to wait even longer after the independents came on board, um, board. But he did and and loved it, and that was a separate sort of. Uh, courtship between oh no i, I gotta hear about i i've heard a little of that on ben acker's <laughs> podcast but i need to ask you more about it because i'm fascinated by your the way you uh like a screenwriter much like harvey milk is constantly trying to enlist people in their vision yeah and so you did this slowly with all these people and i think yeah. the final piece of that was you enlisting Denis and your vision and we should talk about it but when he first read it had you met yet or you hadn't met before he read I had not met before he read I had not met him, no. So he reads, and, and you get what do you hear back first? Well, I hear back first that he is very interested, but that he didn't want to meet with the producers. He didn't want to meet with the financiers. He wanted to meet with me. Right. Which is a little new for me, because honestly, that's the last time, that's the last thing a director wants to meet usually is the writer, in my experience. So, um, so I'm like, well, of course. And then uh, 
we met in Westwood, a little coffee shop. Um, and I'm just, I, Brian, I know it's, it feels to me, I, I talk about times that I've met with a director who's interested in a script, and it never feels like a meeting more than like a hostage swap on a bridge, you know? Yes. Where it's just like, a, it's a nice kid you got there, Eric. It's the last time you're going to see it. Yeah. Maybe I'll remember your name at the premiere. That, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and Denis was just, he was fascinated by the script, and we wound up talking for about two hours about uh, politics and science and uh, science fiction and uh, and religion and, and like a bunch of stuff. We really hit a lot of big things and it was a deep philosophical. It was like a good podcast, really. Uh, and at the end of it, he's like, "Let's do this next week." And I thought, uh, "Okay, sure." Right. It's some version of uh, "Good Night West." They almost likely kill you in the morning. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, some version of that, right? Yeah. And and I felt like I was uh, I was showing up and and sort of I was complicit in the Scheherazade. Uh, scenario where I just had to keep him interested because, of course, after every meeting, you know, the, the producers would call, Is he on? Is he on? I'm and like, you were like, ah, We're there. You know, I, I get another shot. I get another shot. I'm going to go back. alive till tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And we kept going. Um, and um, we, you know, we dug deep on the script. And occasionally he would ask a question about, What if I, what would I think about a new scene with uh, some, one of the other characters? Or, exploring more of Louise's relationship with her daughter or whatever it is. Um, and I took that as um, sort of license for me to go off and write some stuff, uh, more speculative stuff, for just for Denis. And I would bring him, like a puppy dog with slippers, I would bring him scenes of like, what do you think of this? Awesome. Calculatingly or like um, were you engaging in a process? In your mind, did you feel like I'm engaging in a process or were you like... Yeah. You were, yeah, right? it was that. It was that. And it was also just because I realized that he was legit interested in it. That's what I'm asking, yeah. Uh, that I, w I got very legit interested in him. Awesome. And were you taking the emotional ride the whole time, or had you been so beaten in that, <laughs> that you would, like, distance yourself from the ride? You know, uh, at a certain point in Shawshank, uh, Tim Robbins is just beyond being able to think that there's any hope. You yeah. know, once the warden kills the guy, everything changes, and... Um, like, so w where were you on the continuum emotionally? Or did you stay emotionally alive to the whole journey? I got emotionally alive when I was in those those moments with Denis talking about or yeah. discovering the, the stuff. Then you would actually allow yourself to think maybe this is going to happen. Oh, yeah. you set yourself. You Again. would allow yourself to get set up for the crushing disappointment. Every time. And then you would drive home and at a certain point be like, oh my God, what if what am I, <laughs> like, what am I doing? Right. What am I doing? Because then I get a call again from the producers like he's still not officially on board. Like, oh God, that's right. Uh, and then finally I understood it. It was a, such a great moment too because um, I'd gotten the heads up from the producers just moments before I got the call from, from Denis. Like, he's on board. He's signed on. He's official. This is great. And then he calls me and he's like, Eric, it's official now. We are married. Oh, that's awesome. And I understood what, he, what it was. I understood that that was an entire sort of seduction process to make sure that he could stand a long-term relationship with me basically. Yeah, if he wanted to be around you. Yeah. Wanted you to be part of making it. He wasn't going to steal the thing from you. He was going to go no. do it with you. Yeah. And need to know that he could deal with you. And and to just to rely on me for writing because he's the type who just has, and there are other directors out there that do this, of where they have the writer do all the writing. Like anytime there was a talking head on a TV in the background of a scene, I had to write dialogue for him for that. I mean, that's the way it's supposed to go. It is. It's gone. I will say mo most of our, my, Dave, in my career, it's gone that way. That's God bless mostly you. been it. The he, way it's gone, other it's, than a couple of times, <laughs> mostly that's been the thing. You're a much better curator of filmmakers than I have been. I think that's true, <laughs> by the way. Um, 
Well, yeah, because John Dahl made the first movie with us, and he's actually showing up tomorrow to direct two episodes this season of our show, and he directed nice. the first season. And he just similarly was like, no, 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 this is, you're here, you're going to do this. So I'm going to give you a lot of notes, we're going to do this process together. You're going to go, you're going to be here yeah. and make the movie with me. Yeah. Which was a huge gift, an incredible gift. It's so good. And so he says he's in. Mm-hmm. And does the thing become real then? Is that when... You know, it's it's weird how the moment that we it could become real, uh, our minds just end up pushing the the, the goal. Yeah. Line so what happened? What was the next goal line? Then? The next Did goal line cast was, cast. Yeah, it was like Amy, and you know we've been through a process where on other movies usually your number one choice doesn't make it, um, and I had a particular horror story uh, memory in my head of when I had asked Denis who he wanted, and he was like Amy. And, and I said, well, okay, well, if you don't get Amy, he's like, well, I don't know if I do the movie. I'm like, oh, oh God. Yeah, right. Uh, so, uh, but it worked out. I mean, she, the, so she was our first pick and she, she joined. She reads the script. Does she, she then meet with Denis before committing? Yes. And then does he call you after the meeting and say she's in? Yeah. So that had to be the moment for that you. Where was... were you when you got that call? Do you remember? <laughs> I was stuck in traffic. You definitely remember. I know you remember. I was stuck in traffic. Alone? I was, I was an I-10, yeah. And I was, uh, I was just, uh, I was going, oh, why am I even, well, like, I just had a bad general meeting that was way out of another, our, our, other a bad part. meeting with like a studio or a producer. With a producer. About some other, some th- other thing. And it was shitty for real? And it was a shitty meeting and I'm like, oh, am I going to do this for the rest of my life? And like, and then I get the call, you know, and he's like, Amy loves this project. She loves it so very much. We're going to make a beautiful film. Oh, I'm like, oh God, yes. 10 years. Yeah. That's ten years later, That's 10 right? Years later from the first time you pitched it to somebody. Yeah. Now, are you? Uh, I in that moment, and I'll admit this about myself. I would immediately flash on every person who passed. <laughs> that would. That okay. would be a part of my journey on this thing. Or, or did you just breathe it out and you didn't think about them again? Uh, I will say this: uh, in the movie, uh, a certain number of spacecraft show up at various parts of the world. Twelve. Yeah. Twelve spacecraft. Right. One for each buyer yeah. that rejected it. So in your mind, each each one was one of these studios. <laughs> yeah. That's really great. That was that, my own little nod. That was your nod to those people. Yeah. And uh, so he says we're making the movie. Yeah. You then call your people. Everyone's excited. Do you know in that moment my life's different? Because you'd already made six, had six things made. Or five. Right. I guess was, this was the sixth. Right. You know, you're by the, even though you said you had a shitty general meeting, whatever, I mean, you and I both know. The moment you've had three things made, you're you're basically going to be able to do this thing for a while, probably right. in some way, not maybe at exactly the level level you want. But I would think that in much the same way um, for me, when Soderbergh said we're making Oceans 13, I knew that something had shifted in a huge way mm-hmm. for me, like mm-hmm. that it was very different than the other things. Yeah. The moment I knew that movie was greenlit, I was like, oh, that just changes something forever in some way. Right. Did you have the sense that things were different? I did. Okay, I good. did. Because this is a, a genre that no, no one else has ever seen work of mine make. You know, I'd written probably got another, uh, of my 61 scripts, uh, uh, another dozen of those were sci-fi scripts that never went anywhere. Well, and you're a great short story writer, and you'd written sci-fi short stories. I'd done sci-fi short stories as well. Are they well. still available online, those yeah, stories? Yeah, Derek's At Popcorn Fiction. Popcorn Fiction has Do- a handful of them. Eric's a gr- You are a fucking great short story writer. For <laughs> and, and, you know, if you think short stories are only literary, your stories are literary, but they're, uh, they're page turners also. 
or screen Thank you. turners or whatever. Whatever they're, 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 they're no pages. They're clickers. <laughs> you click right through them. But you'd written in this world, but you're saying you hadn't, nobody understood that this was a real thing. You hadn't made Correct. Anything. No one understood it was important to me. Um, and this is a way for me to, to say, like, look, this is something I would love to do more of. Uh, so that, that got me excited as well. And then did you have a start date right away? Um, the start date was questionable because, again, it, was, it, it gets into people's availability and it gets into financing. And he was in post on Sicario for a while, so we were kind of locked up with that for a while. Um, and there's no more worrisome time for a, a writer or producer than a director who says, just wait, I'll come back to you as soon as I'm done. Because how many times the director is like, they, finally, six months later, they're like, uh, you know, I'm kind of bored with this now. It just happens so often. But Dean didn't. He, he, stu- he, stu- he stuck in there, and so did Amy. And then we went off. How long, how much, so how far after that phone call did you start? It was, it was after six months. So it was, it was a good long wait. And then you were there on, do you remember what it felt like the first day you, sh- so do you show up for any of prep? Um, Where'd you guys shoot it? Uh, we shot it in Montreal. And did you go there? Uh, I did, I did, but it, they were already in mid-production. Um, and I picked a window that allowed me to spend the most time on the alien spacecraft as I could. Well, so he would call you during, so how would you do work during the shooting? You said you were the only writer on it. Yeah. Uh, he would have you do all the writing. Yeah. Would he text you or email you after rehearsal in the morning if there were questions? Oh, Ryan, how was, would it, Explain it how it would work. It was a text or an email or a phone call or a Skype. You know, I remember plenty of times looking at my monitor and then I, leaning into the frame would be like Jeremy Renner in a, in a hazmat suit. Hey, you know, like, you know. And they would need a lot, like, hey, what, yeah. what would I say in this moment or how would I deal with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're doing your other, you're just doing screenwriting. Yeah. And then you're getting a call from set. Yeah. With some kind of a question. And, uh, could you have got you, you didn't want to sort of like insist on being there for more of it you picked a period of time i picked a period of time and i knew that um uh people were already sort of giving up some of their set visit time and their travel budget in order to give us one more day of shoot uh and so i was being very careful about that as well uh but it was still great to get calls and i gotten used to that in fact Probably the most famous moment, and I've, I've spoken about this a, a few other times before, was uh, about two months before the first day of shooting, I get a call from Denis, who, who <laughs> I discovered I had left myself a little time bomb in the script, uh, and that was in the third act, where it just says, uh, Louise says something to the general in Mandarin. Oh, that was rough, because he's like, Eric, what, is, what does she say? Like, I don't know, I don't know. He's like, no, 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 no. Right. <laughs> no, the translator is here to, to teach her. You know, we need to know, this will be, a, Eric, this line saves the earth. This is the right. most important dialogue in the whole movie. You can, I'm like, now I'm sweating it out, you know? Uh, and it took me forever to figure that, that part How out. How long? It took me about two weeks and uh, more than two dozen lines. Uh, and the way that uh, Denis works, and you, you fun, everyone falls into this. He's done this with, with cast. He's done this with his DP. Uh, he, he's done it with, uh, obviously, with me. And, uh, and it's all in one breath where he's like, you know, Eric, you're a, you're a fabulous talent and a beautiful human being. This is an embarrassment in the trap. Right. Yes. Like, you're just like, oh, my yes. stomach. Oh. Yes. Um, and then you just keep going back until you finally get him and he'll say, okay, okay, okay. Uh, and that is a, a, a nice way, a nice French Canadian way of saying, this is mediocre. Right. Uh, and I have seen takes, I've seen dailies where uh, Amy will do a take and you can hear, okay, okay, okay. And she goes, no, okay, okay. We're doing another take. I'm going to keep going. Uh, because everyone figured that out. It's an easy code to, to crack until finally he says, I deeply love this. Ah, that's what you need. You that's need I you deeply need. love you this. You need I deeply love this. When you get the deeply love, you know you're good. You're solid. 
Did, um, did you end up saying that to people afterwards? Is that like your thing now to people? <laughs> like you know, you end up sort of taking you do, the, right? the lexicon and the, and the, and the colloquialisms you, you from take, others. You do. You take it on. So uh, you go to set. Was it super heavy for you when you showed up? It was really smooth. Like it was just a well-oiled machine. Everybody there loved the film. Everybody, like from like gaffers. And but I'm asking you emotionally. And, and emotionally, what it was for me was just... I had been trying to get there for so long that instead of it being a big celebration, honestly, Brian, it was just a relief. Uh-huh. It was like I could relax. There was parts of my back muscles that finally just yes, let loose a bit. Yes, of course, man. Uh, and I felt like, okay, we're, we're doing this. We're going to make this work. Uh, and it was just this nice kind of, I don't know, there was a great vibe. It was this vibe that everybody wanted to show up on set, and, and I got pulled into it. And what happened the first time you saw the film? Well, that's really when I when I lost it. I I <laughs> sobbed, I sobbed so much. Uh, I was such a wreck. Uh, and then uh, and I called my mother when I got out of it, and I said, you know, I think my life has changed now. Ah, that's my favorite kind of thing. Really, that yeah. is so fucking great. Yeah, you knew. Yeah, I said honestly, mom, if I never do anything else, the fact that I got this done, it makes me feel good. Right, yeah. you did the thing. I did the thing. Who'd you go with alone? Did you see it alone? Uh, I, yes, actually, I did. It was because Denise uh, couldn't make it. So it was How'd me. How they show at, it to you? It was me in a Paramount screening with, with Amy's agent and with some public relations people. H- had you been in the editing room at all? Had he ever asked you in? Or? I had seen an online early, early cut. Yeah, but without was, the effects. And without everything. the effects, right. yeah, without yeah. any of it, with a lot, a lot of other stuff. Um, well before I realized that he would never actually put subtitles on that line of dialogue yeah, sure. that I worked so hard for. Um, but also, um, it just did, it, and there was just a lot more to it. And then suddenly, now we had, uh, we had the uh, the score, the, the score. We had Johansson, and we, of course, we had that uh, amazing piece, um, the Max. Uh, I'm just blanking on his name, but uh, it's uh, it, it was all suddenly. Uh, you know and how the effects were in. The effects were in, and you know how like the, the last ten percent of a movie shifts it from like being like and eh, to like oh here it is. That's what it was. But you saw all of that. Yeah, and you started weeping. I was just a mess. Gosh, I can't even imagine what the what a weight that must have felt like uh, off you ten years later. Yeah, and then um, how I know in every way, but uh, one thing I've noticed over my twenty um, years at this is I'm, I'm pretty good at tracking the people uh, who check in or are interested in what we want to work on during the more fallow periods, and then there are those people who only surface during the periods when you're hot and there are these right it goes there's some sort of a waveform of this stuff sure so how have you processed sort of what happened after so the movie comes out it's this gigantic mm-hmm. you know it's one of the best reviewed movies of the year uh, basically it's some people's really like favorite movie you get everything yeah. all the things happen that anyone could ever dream would have it's a big hit movie it makes money it does everything right. you want it to do yeah what happens with in Hollywood for you? First of all, have you run into any of those people? Did anyone call you and be like, or email you or text you and say, we fucked up? <laughs> no, no. Nobody, zero for 12. Nobody's, yeah, zero for 12. For real? Yeah. Have any of those people advanced up the chain and now that they're presidents of a studio or net, or? Uh, yeah, one or two of them, yeah. Yeah, some of them have kept going up. Have uh, you had meetings with any of them? No, I'm pretty good about. It. Actually, there was one in particular where we went in. Oh, you just you just give me a, a flashback. So, uh, one buyer of the twelve, we went in and we pitched it, and they said, "You know, th- this will never get made. 
but if you change the lead to a male, we'll buy it. Hmm. And I went back and I told my reps, um, I'm never going back to that place again. Awesome. They told you it'll never get made. Yeah, and the fact that they wanted to make it a male lead just defeated all the purpose of that, and I don't want to work with people that Yeah, of course that. you don't want to work with people like that. So... Uh, so I guess you're going to turn down Trump's invitation to the White House. Clearly, <laughs> but that's right. But uh, but you do remember specifically the passes because I, I know yeah. I remember exactly it sticks what with they you. said and why and and how. But you none of those you haven't worked for any of those people. Afterwards. Not directly. Not directly. No, some of the companies. Yeah. And how is it different now when you walk into a room? And, and first of all, it's really important for people to own, understand, like. An executive looked you in the eye and didn't say, I think this won't get made because we all want to empower these people all the time and think that they must be right. And there you, there you had it. someone in a position of authority looked at you and said, never. Right. Which is amazing. Well, sure. But also, I can never take that personally. This is never about like me or even necessarily my taste. It's easy to think that my own tastes are under fire because this is something that I love desperately. But... They they just don't have that filter on. They're just looking at like what's going to make money for the next quarter. Well, they're looking quarter. at what made money last quarter. Well, yeah, exactly. There 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 are many of them. I mean, there are some people who um, aren't like that. Uh, I can name three or four who I think um, actually look forward. You know, look forward. Now they may be somewhat past to you, but like for me, Deluca, he's actually aware. He loves. He is. He loves movies, and he's trying yeah. to make the next great thing. You know, there are people who are like that. But most of these people are just looking at what happened last time. Totally. Uh, and how has it changed what happens when you walk into a room now? Here's the story I can give you that. Um, before uh, it hit the awards circuit, circuit and it sort of like became a, the, 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 uh, the interesting monster that it is, I remember being very passionate about a project, an open writing assignment that I chased. And I got the call from my agent. Just so you know, Eric, this is a bake-off. There are five other writers going for this. I'm like, oh, tough, okay. Uh, and I ultimately, I didn't get that job. And then post-arrival, another uh, option came up that I was very excited about. Wait, so the first thing was before, you said before, before arrival came out, that is, or before the, it got nominated? Before it got nominated. So it was already out. It was already out. So when it, it came out, that didn't change your life? Not right away. Oh, fascinating. Amazing to me. Yeah. People saw that movie and weren't like, oh. We got to hire this guy for everything? Sick. Okay. But then you get nominated for the Academy Award. Right. And you win a bunch yeah. of awards and you get nominated for the Academy Award. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So post, post-Oscars, post-award season, um, so that means earlier this year, uh, I remember very, quick, very, very distinctly in March, I, I went hard at this project and I drove out of that meeting thinking, all right, and then, because I'm, I'm a rival Eric now. That's what I am. Like, you know, uh, people know this. And my agent called and says, just so you know, it's a bake-off with five other Oscar-nominated writers. No, is that true? <laughs> so I was basically, oh, I just went to hard mode is what I did. Like, right. I just... That's really funny. Uh, you know, it's game of death. Like, I'm now uh, in the room with Kareem I mean, that, that is a funny, good story. But but I, I refuse to think it hasn't changed things at all. Uh, it, you know... The I, rooms you can get in. The rooms and I can get in. And if you have an original idea, yeah. the way that people are going to listen or who you get to see, right? Don't you get to sit down with, like, the head of production now? Well, you know, I, and if not, I have to have a conversation with you about what you have to say to your reps. <laughs> More than that, it's about filmmakers that I've been uh, looking yeah, to work good. with, and it's something that, like, you guys said something that has stuck with me for a long time that I've been trying to like adapt into my own uh, mo, which is that you chase after directors that you want to work with, and you find something to do together, 
Uh, and, and I don't know uh, when in your career level that was, but the idea that you, you find the, the relationship that you want first and you cultivate that and let the project come, fl- come from that, I think that's phenomenal. Uh, and it's something that helps me up my batting average so I'm not 10%. That makes total sense. No, uh, w- what happened to us, which I don't, maybe once on the podcast I mentioned this, but no, what happened was the John Dahl thing. They were going to put a different filmmaker on Rounders. We were just the writers, not producers. It was our first movie. We had no credits. We had nothing. We thought this director was the wrong guy. We'd all met with him. We didn't like him. We knew that Harvey at the time, Miramax, would make a movie with John Dahl. They wanted to make something else with him. And we told an agent to get us in the room with the guy and that, to get him the script. And they were like, but the studio didn't offer him this movie and the producers don't know. And we said, we don't care. Oh. We think he'll like this material. Uh, we're out here. We're going to stay in L.A. until you get us in a room with him. So they send him the script. He said he liked it. And then we got a meeting with him. And he said, I, you know, the things directors say that's not exactly true. I, I'd shoot this as is. <laughs> and then, uh, which is never exactly true, though he kept very close to that his word on that nice. and kept his word to us completely. And and um, then we called the producers and said, we got John Dahl. We know Miramax would make this with John. Let's just all go and say this is who's going to do it. And then we all went and took him off another movie, basically, that they were going to do. All right. That was just um, in a kind of a naive refusal to be put in a system and ever mm-hmm. since that happened we just decided that uh writers cede too much power to other people yep. and you don't have to true the business tells you you have to yeah you refused you just were like well i'm doing this thing yeah because i believe in it right um and so wh- what are how are you organizing your life now are you taking different kinds of jobs are you writing originals? I know you're making a television show for AMC, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And is that full time now? Have you made the not, pilot? Not yet. No, I'm in early stages on that. I'm in the script. In fact, I'll be doing that on the flight home. Right. Uh, but uh, but it's another Ted Chang story, so I have to be careful with it. Yeah. Don't uh, fuck it up. I can't fuck it up, right? You know, no. there's gonna be a sophomore slump, and I don't want that. No, so, don't. Yeah. What? But, but so, how, how are you figuring out what you want to work on now? Well, again, it comes down to what am I really passionate about, and. I don't look at does it fit with something I've made before you know it doesn't have to be another sci-fi or horror film it could be something completely different as long as I have that fire in my belly to go and and, and write it and I get excited when I talk about it then that's where I go and that's also why I think I found uh, more joy in comic books this year which is where I kind of focused this this uh, new medium what tell us about some of the comic books you're working on um, I did a four issue miniseries that the fourth issue just dropped uh, uh, late last month uh, called Secret Weapons. Uh, and what I liked about that was I looked at a process by which the uh, sort of the, the, the main characters, the superheroes in the Valiant uh, universe uh, get their powers. And, and I asked them, like, you know, like, if this comes from this process, what happens to the ones that are sort of rejected? What, what, you have an island of misfit toys somewhere. And I want to talk about those. Oh, great. I want to do the bad news bears of this world. And, uh, and, and that's, where, that's where Secret Weapons came from. And how'd you find the artist? Uh, again, I had an amazing editor by the name of Warren Simons. And Warren's been uh, in this for a very long time. And he is that perfect matchmaker of, like, I know just who. Oh, great. Put, and, and he did. He, get, he got me Raul Allen and Patricia Martin, this, uh, this married couple that kind of symbiotically just share in the duties of layout and and uh and inking and coloring and all of that so 
um, and they fell in love with the characters the way I had, and we just made this great little four issue thing that's now the highest selling independent miniseries. So. Oh, that's fantastic, man! So you're doing you you did that, yeah. And now, what are you throwing your energy into? What's the next project? Well, that got me another comic book I'm going to do next year, which is kind of a big event thing that that I'm going to have to you know I'm going to swing at that, um, and then. Um, I, the other thing that I fell in love with that is completely out of my wheelhouse uh, normally, but it's uh, it's an anime film that I saw, uh, and I just cried through the last third of it, called Your Name. Uh, and uh, I had such an emotional oh, yeah. connection to it, uh, and I didn't realize that uh, the Japanese rights holders were selling the rights. Uh, when I found out about that, I had that kind of weird panic attack of, oh, God, don't screw this up. Wait a minute, I can help. You know, like if someone's gonna screw it up, it could be me. It's kind of like so how, you got you got in there. So I got in there and I swung at it, and didn't know if I, you know, if it would be because they they saw everybody in town as they should. Like you know, they need to be the bell of the ball because it's an. Amazing, but you got the job. But I ended up getting the job for that. Well, that's how your life's different. Yeah, you got you saw the anime movie that everybody's talking about. Yeah, and they hired you for it. And they hired me for the. Did animation. you go in super prepared to the pitch? I well, you know, I I don't know how prepared I would say I was. Uh, I'd say that I was full of passion and enthusiasm, um, and I said stuff that I that I know me from like five years ago would have gotten kicked out of the room early on. You know, to start off with saying there are no white people in this, you right? Know, that kind of thing. You said that the movie I envisioned. The movie we're I not envisioned. Gonna, we're not going to. These, yeah, these leads. I'm not going to pitch. I'm not any. changing this. I'm yeah. keeping it as is. Yeah, this is not. This is not a. This, with no, no. I love her as an actress, but this is not a Scarlett Johansson movie. You know, yes. this is not other. This is we're not. We're not doing this. That that there's a different way to to approach. Right, this. and you were now able to. They were able to listen to you. That may be it. They mean the fact that like post arrival, they're like, well, maybe he's got a point. Right, and so you're writing that now. Oh, that's fantastic, man. I can't wait to see it. Well, um, I wanted to do all sorts of biographical stuff, but we're out of time. And I do think that this story is one that is, your story is so inspiring and resonant and is a case study of what committed passion. Like you had this idea, you didn't just say like, I love it, I love it, I love it, but you worked rigorously to serve your dream, right? People often will say now uh, this idea of chasing a dream is foolish and I uh, I believe uh, it's foolish unless you're willing to work with incredible rigor, discipline, and focus to bring the thing, to right. manifest it, which you, you fucking did. <laughs> and ended up like with the best movie of the year. So congratulations. Thank you. And, Thank um, you, Ryan. Thanks for this. Tell people where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, I am at Heisrur and I just do that as phonetically as possible. So it's H-I-G-H. Z-U-R-R-E-R. He's a great Twitter follow and um, will occasionally answer questions about screener. A lot of people giving uh, very bad screener advice about <laughs> writing and even uh, people who work in the business who give really lame sort of responses, but you yeah. give good ones. Thank you. Uh, you're telling the truth as you see it. As and see uh, it. you're not a crazy person. Some people are telling the truth that they're crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's a problem too. It is. Well, we can talk about that later. Um, hey, uh, you can find me um, at Brian Koppelman at Twitter. You can email me, themomentbk at gmail.com. Don't send me movie ideas. Don't send me sci-fi movie ideas now that I'm going to pass on to Eric. I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to flush them. But uh, if you have anything else you want to say about the show, feel free. And uh, thanks for listening. See you next time.